Um, one of the things that uh, we want to do today is we are uh, we're hanging out in this series called This Is Us, the core of who we are. And, uh, and so today we're, we're wrapping that up and uh, uh, we're wrapping up this series and we're going to talk about this idea of living real, about not being fake, right? And, uh, but, but I want to remind you of next week because next week we're beginning a new teaching series on prayer. And it's a teaching series called Prayer More Than Words. And I'm really excited about it because over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to unpack the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to unpack why did Jesus share the Lord's Prayer with us? Why is it a model for prayer? And what does it have to do with us in our prayer lives? So I hope that you'll join us over the next few weeks as we talk about um, prayer. But today, uh, like I said, we want to finish up this series on This Is Us, the core of who we are. And we've been talking about uh, Warehouse Church. We've been talking about our core values, the things that the non-negotiables of who we are as a church. These are the things that define us. These are the things that we believe that when we live out these five core values that we've talked about, that that is when we can fulfill God's mission here to see more people experience transforming relationships through Jesus. Like that's, that's the whole point of these core values is that we believe as a church that your leadership buys into 100% and we want you to buy in 100% into these core values because we believe that God has given us a mission here to see people experience transforming relationships, not just you, but the people out there, the people in Floyd County, the people in Johnson County, your neighbors, the people that live next door to you, the people that you work with, that we want to see them experience transforming relationships through Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we feel like we've got to live out these five core values. And what are they? Let's just refresh our minds real quick and talk about them. The first one that we talked about is loving differently. The second one we said, we're going to celebrate stories. We're going to become storytellers. We're going to be good at telling our story, our God's story, and the stories that God is continuing to write in our lives. We talked about um, not only celebrating stories, but growing purposefully, that we want to grow on purpose, that our spiritual growth is not something that we can rely on just Sunday morning for an hour, but it's something that we have to do every day of the week, and so we have to grow on purpose. We also talked about thinking legacy last week, and last week, man, that was so powerful for us to be thinking about uh, the generations that are coming up behind us, and that we as a church, we value those generations that are coming up behind us, and the Bible told us and continues to tell us throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, that we always got to be passing on what God is showing us to the next generation. And so we've talked about a lot of things, but today we're going to wrap it up with what I think is the most challenging, but I also think is the most uh, personal value of these five values, and it's the value of living real. And I want us to really think about this value because this is one of the values that uh, when I first started looking at Warehouse Church, when I first started considering coming here, living real was the one I had to think about the most. Like it wasn't the one that came naturally. I got loving differently. I got celebrating stories. I got growing on purpose and I got, I got all those, but living real is one that I had to think about. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you've had to think about, well, what does that mean to live real? Why is it so important for us to live real? And so here's what I know, and you know it too, that nobody likes a fake. You know that to be true, that nobody likes a fake. That even in our filter craze culture, that we despise counterfeits. And that you and I, we crave authenticity. We want to be real people. We want to be genuine people. We want to be authentic people. 
But if we're honest, we're just not very good at it, right? Like we as people are just not very good at being real and genuine and honest. And what does it even mean to be real? What does that mean? What do you think it means to be real? And, and no one really knows, or so it seems, but, but I want you to try this sometime. Like, I want you to really try this. It's a, maybe it's a little experiment. I want you to listen to people talk about what it means to be a Christian. Like, just take some time and, and maybe even, like, start the conversation and then kind of step back and just listen to people des- describe what it means to be a Christian because you're going to hear a bit of everything. You're going to hear all kinds of things. You're going to hear lots of opposing uh, answers. You're going to hear uh, a lot of confusion, really, about what it means to be a Christian. And it reminded me that back in, in 2012, uh, way back in 2012, uh, presidential hopeful Senator Rick Santorum, he, claimed, he made this claim. He said that President Obama's policies were based on a different theology. Now, when he made that statement, uh, reporters really pounced on it. Like they pounced on this like juicy meat of journalism red meat. And, uh, and, and did Sen- Senator Santorum, uh, they asked, did he, did he really have the audacity? This is what reporters were saying. Did, they, did he really have the audacity to call into question the president's claim to be a Christian? And it created all kinds of conversations. And when, when Senator Santorum was pressed, he gave a real politically savvy response. He said, if the president says he's a Christian, he's a Christian. End of story. Next question. And his answer really satisfied reporters. Like they were satisfied that, with that response and thousands of others that were following the story were also satisfied. It was as if he said this. It was as if he said, to profess is, uh, faith is to possess faith. To profess faith is to possess faith. And what could be more American than that, right? To profess must mean that you possess. But I wonder what Jesus would have said about what Santorum said. Is it simply enough to say we're real? Is it simply enough for us to say that we're Christian? Or or should we be able to see, and should others be able to see that we're real too? And if so, what does that look like? What does it look like to be real? Are there are there marks? Think about this. Are there marks of authentic faith that we should see in our lives? Are there marks of uh, authentic, authenticity that others should see in our lives or that we should see in others' lives? And what, what about those on the outside of the church? What should the outside people see as they look into the church? What should they see in the lives of real Christians? You see, it's no secret It's no secret that today that the church is facing huge challenges. Like they are facing huge challenges. We as a church, there's radical diversity. We're we're aggressive secularism. There's there's political polarization. There's skepticism about religion. And there's this uh, ever-changing sexual ethics and postmodern ideas about truth. Like the church is facing some really huge challenges. But I think that Perhaps the greatest challenge to the church's witness is one of our own making. And it's simply this, we have an image problem. That the church has an image problem. That many out there view Christians as, well, being no different from the rest of the world, right? 
Like when our un, non-Christian friends or our unbeliever friends look at us, they're like, I don't know if I see anything different from the rest of the world because here's what the world is calling those who have said yes to Jesus. They call us bigots and homophobes and hypocrites and they call us materialistic and judgmental and self-serving and even overly political. And so the church's image doesn't bode well for its future. And let's be honest again that droves of people, especially the younger generations, are leaving the church and they have no desire to return. They have no plans of returning. And the reasons for this are really complex and we can't fix them all in an hour. But we know one thing to be certain, and it's this, that when Christians are confused about what it means to be real, that the spiritual decline of the church will follow. That in this post-Christian culture that we find ourselves living in, where confusion uh, about what it means to be real abounds, and where there's distrust and organized religion, and it has reached an all-time high, the church, more than ever, needs to live real. Like you and I, more than ever, need to live real, authentic, genuine lives. And we need to be real for uh, many different reasons, and we need to be authentic and genuine. And, and this week, my friend, he sent me a link. And uh, he sent me a link to an interview that uh, Oliver Anthony did on the Joe Rogan uh, experience. And many of you are familiar with Oliver Anthony. Uh, he wrote a song called Richmond, North of Richmond. And, uh, and, and he, um, he has taken social media by storm lately. And as I watch this interview, and I want to say this, that I, I don't agree with everything that he says, but as I watch this interview that he had with Joe Rogan, I caught a real glimpse of genuineness and authenticity and what that looks like. Because here's what he was talking about. He said about a month ago, uh, he was at the end of his rope. Anthony Oliver was, or Oliver Anthony was at the end of his rope and completely broken and far from God. And now he's on the Joe Rogan show and he is sharing uh, scriptures with him and he's reading from God's word. And, and he shares this moment with him in his truck and he's sitting in his truck and, and how he's crying like a baby and how he's experiencing like this really, what he describes seemed to me to be like this full on anxiety attack. And here's what he said. He said these words, he says, I'm not anybody special. Just being real honest, I'm not anybody special, but coming from somebody that was in a really messed up place, I found a lot of peace from this book pointing to the Bible. So I found a lot of peace from this book. And he shares this feeling of, of, of feeling like a child who can't find their parents. He's just had this feeling of hopelessness. And he says, I decided right then and there in my truck that I can't do this anymore. And he talked about all of these things that he's done. He says, I just decided I can't do this anymore. I'll give it all up. He says, I'll call it good and I'll start all over and I'll make him, being God, the focus and not me. He says, I'll make God the focus and not me. He said these words, he says, I'll let go of my ego and I'll focus on God. And he goes on in the interview to share how God is working on him and how he is learning to let go of his own ego and how he is learning that serving God is more important and it was so refreshing for me to just to hear a real honest, 
Just an honest, genuine conversation that he was having with, of all people, Joe Rogan. Now, while we may be confused, and I think many of us are, about what it means to be real, I want you to know that Jesus, he is not confused. Jesus is not confused on what it looks like to be real rather than being fake. And when talking about real Christians, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20. He says these words, he says, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. That you want to know how to tell the difference between a real Christian and a fake Christian, just look at the fruit that they're bearing. And he says, you know if you're real, if you bear fruit, because fruit is the tall tale sign of authentic faith, because here's the reality, fruit, well, it doesn't lie. Fruit doesn't lie. And here's what Luke says that Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 44. He says these words, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit. This, we know this to be true. No good tree, tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. That's such an important part right there. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so Jesus makes it crystal clear that you tell the difference between a real authentic Christian and a fake one by the fruit that they bear. But he goes on and makes his point even more clear in a parable, a famous parable about a sower that we read in Matthew chapter 13. And I want to read it with you this morning, chapter 13 of Matthew verses 1 through 23. And here is what Jesus says. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him, and he got into a boat, and he sat in it, with all of the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things and parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever hears, has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever uh, has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why do I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever uh, be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and hear what you hear but did not hear it. 
And then here's what he tells, he defines or describes or tells them what the parable means in verse 18. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, uh, what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and, and once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They see the seed falling among the thorn refers to the, someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of the wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop or bears fruit, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And it's pretty straightforward what Jesus is telling us here. He's saying, listen, a farmer sows seed in the field, and the seed represents the good news of the kingdom of God. It's sown on four different kinds of soils, Jesus describes, each representing a different response from us about the message of the kingdom. And I think it's pretty simple. But here's the punchline. Only one type of soil produces fruit. The seed on the first soil hardly even gets started and Satan comes and snatches it away. But what's even more troubling is the outcome of the seed that's sown on the other two, the second and third soils. Why? Because they both respond positively in the beginning, but then it falls away. You see, the seed took, uh, the, the seeds look to take root and they look to begin growing Yet as the story continues, we see that neither one of them bear any fruit, neither lasts to the end, neither is real, but seem to be inauthentic. Some of the seeds fail to develop roots, it says, and, and they don't persevere. That life gets hard is what Jesus says. When life gets hard, they can't overcome and their faith is tested. And we see this enthusiasm at the beginning, but there's no staying power. Maybe someone who got excited about fellowship or got excited about coming to church or maybe they got excited about forgiveness, but it didn't last. It didn't take because their love for Jesus was not genuine. They only had the appearance of being real and over time they proved fake. And we assume that the third seed or third soil uh, had a similarly joyful response at the beginning. Like at the beginning, they were all in. Yet soon this dissolves because of their renewed interest in the world is what Jesus says. Like maybe, maybe they got a job promotion and so they got more interested in, in getting more money or maybe they bought a new home or maybe they, they got concerned over their 401k and these worldly concerns choked out their faith and the person falls away. And so why? Think about why does Jesus tell this parable? Why is this parable so important? Why is it so blunt, really? So why is it so blunt about the distinction between authentic and inauthentic response to his message? Well, evidently, I think Jesus doesn't equate professing faith with possessing faith. Like Jesus would disagree with the idea that one that professes faith possesses faith. And he would say the opposite is true. And instead, he warns his disciple that the only thing that matters 
that the thing that tells the difference between real faith and fake faith is fruit. It's bearing fruit. For Jesus, it's not enough. It's not enough for Jesus to say, oh, I go to church on Sunday, a professing faith. I think Jesus' point is simple. Real is something you can see. Can we just say that together? Real is something you can see. There is a huge difference between those who are real and those who are fake. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to say, oh, I am a Christian. Others should be able to see the fruit in us. It's more than being a good person. It's more than attending church. It's more than saying yes to Jesus. It goes beyond, beyond being baptized and participating in communion or even joining a church. And as important as these things are, being real and living real is so much more than that. Real believers are new creatures. New believers, while they may physically look the same as they did before, real believers are radically changed. They're radically changed. They've experienced a new birth. When you say yes to Jesus and it's authentic, there should be a new heartbeat in you, that there should be new desires that you enjoy, that you have been transformed. And because you've been transformed, you're altogether new. And a new person lives inside of you. And it shows. If you say yes to Jesus and you have an authentic relationship, people begin to say, what's different about you? And here at Warehouse Church, we want to live real. And here's the reason why we want to real, live real. We want to live real so that God can transform us and so that God can transform the people around us. And the first step, and here's what I just want to cover the first step today. The first step to living real is simply this. It's being honest with ourselves, it's being honest with others, and it's being honest with God. That's what I saw in Oliver Anthony's interview. He, he doesn't have it all, to, all figured out. And like I said, I don't always agree with everything he says, but at least he's being honest with three people. He's being honest with himself, he's being honest with others, and he's being honest with God. And when we are honest, when we are honest about who we are, God is able to transform us. When you and I are being honest about who we are, that's when transformation can happen in our lives. So living real really begins by opening our hearts. That's where it begins. That's where I want you to think about today, is opening your hearts and letting Jesus shine his light into the areas of your life that maybe you try and hide from God. Look at what 1 John says in verses 5 through 7. He says these words. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Can we go on there? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, here's the truth, church, that opening our hearts to let God see all the spaces of our lives is necessary. It's necessary. And quite frankly, it's a bit uncomfortable 
that when we open our hearts to God, it's not the most comfortable thing. It's like putting on one of those hospital gowns, right? Like we feel all exposed and it's awkward. And I've always wondered, why can't they put the thing on the side and not in the back, right? Like, why does that have to happen? And we don't like, you and I, we don't like being exposed. We don't like to think that we've gotten things wrong. But if we're honest, most of us are not even sure that we like the direction that we're going right now. And there's this longing. I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but there's this longing in all of us to love God and to worship God. And the more we surrender to that longing and, the, the, and allow, God to, allow it to move us closer towards God, the more we can live in such a way that, um, that others are intrigued and want to know what's different about us. So why not? Why not let the Holy One have His way and bring us into His light? To do this, we gotta open our hearts to three very important people. And I would encourage you to write these three things down. The number one uh, area that we need to open our hearts to God is we must open our hearts to God. That's where it starts. We have to open, our hearts must be open to God. Yes, God knows everything about us. Uh, He knows us better than we know ourselves, but God wants to be in a place of such intimate connection with you that you want to share with him the deepest parts of your life. Like God knows about you. He knows your hopes and dreams. He created you. But he wants to be in this deep connection with you where you and him are so tight that you are comfortable sharing your deepest, darkest things with him. You see, God wants you to be real with him. And I think we see God often as some faraway God that is not in touch with us. But that's not the God that I love. The God that I love and the God that I serve, he wants me to be real with him. He's all about the relationship. And if, and if we can't get past this first step of opening up to God, there won't be much that's real and genuine in us. Because it begins with opening our hearts to the creator of the universe. And if we're afraid of failing as a spouse or a friend or an employee or a busy comparing our lives to someone else's, we'll never get to the point of letting God speak his truth into our hearts, the one who created us into the one he created us to be. And the more we're open to God, guess what? The deeper the relationship becomes, the more we open our hearts to him, the more we expose ourselves to him, the deeper we are in relationship with him. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20, and I want you to know that Jesus is not speaking to unbelievers. And we use this quote or this passage a lot for unbelievers, but this isn't the context. Jesus wasn't speaking to unbelievers. He was speaking to the church when he said these words in Revelation 3.20. He said, look, I stand at the door and knock If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And the reality is, is that when you uh, enter into a relationship with Jesus, he begins knocking on your door. He begins knocking on your door and he is anxious for you to open the door of your heart and to allow him to come into your life and to have a meal with you. And that idea of a meal is really important because in the context that this was written in, in Jewish tradition, 
a meal was sacred. A meal was something intimate. A meal was something that only you did with people that you trusted. And Jesus says, if you will just open the door of your heart, I'll come in and we'll have a meal together just like friends. And so church, hear me when I say this. God is knocking at your door. He wants to sit down with you and he wants to share in your life. He wants to be real with you and he wants you to be real with him. And to do that, we have to do the first thing. We have to open our hearts to God. Number two, you must open your hearts to yourself. You must open your heart to yourself. Listen, here's the second most important thing besides opening your heart to God is you got to start being honest with yourself. Like, yes, you got to be honest with God, but you also need to be honest with yourself. If you're going to experience any lasting change in your life, you got to be real with you. Like, you got to look in the mirror and say, this is who I am. This is where I currently am. This is, this is my struggle. These are my circumstances. And be real with who you are. Because transformation begins with us bearing our hearts to God and also admitting that we can't do everything on our own. See, this is part of being an American, right? We do things on our own. We live in the land of the free, and we, we do things on our own. We pull up our own bootstraps, and we take care of ourselves. But God would say, no, you can't do it on your own. If you're going to be honest with yourself, you need me. You need me to be a part of your life is what God would tell us. So we need to, we, we, we need to realize we can't do everything on our own, and we also need to admit we need to be honest and admit if there's a temptation that we're struggling with that seems to cause us to stray. We gotta be real with that. Like we gotta admit, you know what? I, I, I have some flaws. There's some things in my life that I'm struggling with and we have to be willing to admit that to God. Like are you tempted to take corners at work? Or are you tempted or find yourself moving into dangerous spaces in your relationships? Or maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're depending on an addiction to food or to drugs or to alcohol to get through the day. God would say, start being honest with that. Start being honest about the motivations of your heart. Let's be honest with ourselves and with the area that, uh, of areas of struggle that, that we uh, uh, are often trying so hard to hide from God and from others. Let's come to grips with the fact that we can't fix it on our own. Can you just say that with me? We can't fix it on our own. You gotta be honest about who you are and realize that you can't fix it on your own. First John 1, 8 through 10 warns us, it says this, if we claim to be without sin, what does it say? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what John is saying, if we're not honest about who we are, if we're not honest with ourselves, all we're doing is deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. It says if we confess our sins, if we're honest about who we are, God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make, a, uh, make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, if you can't be honest with who you are, God can't transform you. God can't work in your life if you're not willing to be honest about who you are. And listen, our shortcomings, our own shortcomings and failures, they really trip us up. Like, you know that. You already know that to be true. It causes us to cause doubts about who we are, 
about who we really are. And that's why it's important to remember this. It's important in those moments of doubt to remember who you are. That if you're in here today and you've said yes to Jesus, let me just tell you who you are. Because Peter, Peter knew that we would forget. And so he wrote this letter and he told the church that he was writing this letter to. He said, hey, I want you to remember who you are. And here's what he wrote in 1 Peter 2.9. He said, church, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Check this out. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Listen, the first thing you need to remember is that you've been chosen by God. God chose you. Long before you chose him, God chose you. You have been rescued. You've been rescued from this kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of God. You belong to God. And check this out. You are known by him as his beloved sons and daughters. And I want you to never forget that. Like if you have declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are his son and his daughter. And in being honest with ourselves, let me encourage you to even take it a step further and take some advice from the psalmist who wrote this in Psalm 139. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me just invite you this week. Invite God to search your heart and be real with God and be honest with yourself. Being real with God and being honest with yourself. And number three is this. You must open your heart to others. You got to open your heart to others. We need to take a risk and be real with one another. We're so worried though. We're so worried about what others will think of us uh, that we act the way we think that we want other people to uh, want us to act rather than just being who we are. And, And if we are going to live real, hear this, if we are going to live real, we must move from a place of superficial security to vulnerable authenticity. And what I mean by that is it's risky to be real with other people. You take a risk when you choose to be real with others. But we need to be willing and we need to be courageous enough to expose ourselves to one another. And let me just uh, pick on the men for a minute because men, we are worse at this than than our, 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 our women folk. We're worse. Like we don't like to share Uh, and be vulnerable and be real with anyone. We're like, I can't let anyone know I'm struggling. And men, let me just say that 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 is a struggle. And it's a real struggle, but it's one that we must overcome. That we need to learn to expose ourselves to other brothers in Christ. We need to be uh, able to be authentic and genuine and real and tell others about our sin and our weakness and our pressure points and our real selves. That's so important for us in this world that we live in today. Our children, we think legacy, our children need to see men being real. They do. Like we come to church, we come to church and and there's a lot of uh, women investing in our children. And there's a lot of women being real and authentic and genuine, but men, we're losing the battle here. And we need to step up and we need to be real with our kids 
and real with the people around us. And we do this, uh, all of this, with one goal in mind. And the goal is to be more like Jesus. We open our hearts to God, we open our hearts to ourselves, and we open our hearts to one another so that God can transform our lives. Look again at what 1 John said in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, guess what? He says, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, transforms us from all of our sin. And when we are real with God, and when we're real with ourselves, and we're real with one another, there is this fellowship. There is this genuine fellowship that happens, that takes place. And it's happening in the churches all around the world. There's no need, church, to be fake. Like, let me just re-say that again. There is no need for us to be fake. There's no need for us to wear masks on Sunday. We need to be real. We need to be genuine. And we need to be authentic. And the truth is this. We need each other. And we need each other to be real and genuine and authentic. And, and again, this is why I think small groups are so important. And, and I want to reiterate to you, and I want to beg you, if you haven't joined a small group, and I know some of you haven't, don't, don't, don't let this opportunity uh, escape you. Join a small group. Find community, a place, a safe place where you can practice being real and genuine and authentic. Listen, I want you to hear this, that God has a deep purpose and meaning for every one of you. And he wants us to live in his freedom and in his confidence. And the more that you and I soften our hearts towards God, the more we open the door and allow him to come in and be with us, the more he injects us with his heart and this heart of Jesus to bring us to the fullness of life that he desires, so desires for us. Church, stop shutting the door on God. Stop lying to yourself about who you are. Stop being fake to the people around you. And let's live real lives. Because here's the bottom line. And this is the whole, uh, if you were to summarize this whole thing in a nutshell, it would be this, that God can't transform who you pretend to be. He can only transform the real you. God can't transform who you're pretending to be. He can only transform the real, authentic, genuine you who's opened your heart to God, who has opened your heart to yourself, and who has opened your heart to others. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, I know it's hard. Lord, it's hard to think about being real. Because when we think about being real, Lord, it means that we're exposing who we really are. It means we're exposing to you and we're exposing to ourselves and we're exposing to others our shortcomings, our junk, our mess, our sin. We're exposing our deepest, darkest things that we hide from everyone. And yet, Lord, we'll never bear fruit, life-changing fruit, if we're not real with you and ourselves and others. So, Father, I, I lift up myself to you today. 
Father, I pray that that I would be a pastor who is real and genuine and authentic. And I pray that the people in front of me, Lord, that they would be real and genuine and authentic as well. Because Lord, you can't transform us if we're not willing to be real with you. And if we're not willing to be real with ourselves, and we're not willing to be real with others. Father, I pray for our community. Lord, our community struggles with authenticity. Our community wants it, but then they also struggle with it at the same time. I hear so many people say, oh, I go to church, but there's just too many fake people there. I go to church, but I, I got hurt by people that were judgmental. and I go to church, but... I just can't deal with the hypocrisy. And Lord, we have to change that. And this has to be a safe place for people to come and to be real. We say it all the time, Lord, that we want to meet people right where they are, right where they are. Their real, authentic, genuine self. We want to meet them right where they are then, Father, we want to help lead them to where you want them to go. Father, it begins with us being real. So, Lord, I pray today that, that you would empower us to be real, authentic, genuine believers. And, Lord, if there's someone in here today who has never given their life to you, Lord, that they've never surrendered their life, they've never experienced Uh, a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would say yes, Lord. That today would be the day, that this moment right here would be the moment where they would say, Jesus, I am not perfect. I don't profess to be perfect. I don't have it all together. I'm a mess if I'm really honest. And Lord, I recognize that I can't do anything on my own, but that I need you to come into my life Be my Lord and be my Savior. Transform this broken down mess into a beautiful piece of your work. Lord Jesus, would you come and rescue me from myself and transform my life today. Be my Lord and be my Savior. If that's you, just invite Jesus in. There's no secret to it. You don't have to know a secret handshake. You don't have to say the right words. Just say something like, Jesus, come and be my Lord and be my Savior. Lord, rescue me. I invite you in. I receive your forgiveness. I want your forgiveness. I want to change. I want to be different. I want to follow after you all the days of my life. Would you come, Jesus? And for the rest of us, Maybe we're sitting in our seats today and we're saying, you know what, I've been hiding from God. I've been hiding a lot of different areas of my life from God and today that stops. Like I'm gonna start opening my heart to God. I'm gonna start sharing with God my deepest desires. I'm gonna share with God my my most difficult struggles. I'm gonna open my heart to Him and I'm gonna start being honest with myself. I'm going to be honest with my struggles and I'm going to say to God, I'm going to even say these words, God, I can't do this on my own. I've been trying. 
I feel like I, I felt like I could fix it on my own, but I recognize I can't fix it on my own, but that I need you. If that's you today, just open your hearts to God and allow his light to shine in on you so that transformation can take place. Father, we thank you for our time together today. God, we thank you most of all for Jesus, for dying on the cross for us so that we might be able to have relationship with you. Thank you, God. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to close with a song, and I want to invite you to spend time with the Lord. And you may want to, we're all going to stand up, but you may not want to sing. You may want to sing. You may want to come up here and spend time in prayer. Like there may be some things that you've been hiding from God. Maybe you've been trying to do it on your own. Maybe, maybe you haven't been real with yourself. Whatever it is, I invite you to come and spend time in prayer before the Lord. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right there on the front row. Or if you just grab someone next to you, say, hey, would you come pray with me? Like, I want to go up there, but I don't want to do it by myself, but I want to pray. And just invite someone to come with you and spend time before the Lord. But let's stand together and let's sing this song together.